Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Malachi is this book that just doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the Christian scriptures. If you uh, recognize, the, oh yeah, I've heard the, the name of that before, you probably know it's the last book in the Bible's Old Testament. The Bible is kind of divided into these two lopsided halves, the first half, two-thirds, the Old Testament. It talks about an, an old relationship, testament relationship, an old covenant between God and a group of people, the nation of Israel. And then the New Testament is this new covenant, this new relationship between God and all who will believe, in a sense, the new Israel, the the new relationship with the new Israel. That old covenant, that old testament, that old relationship, the story of it kind of ends with the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi is, is an ancient, ancient book. It was written, oh... Between, oh, let's just, just roughly about 500 years, not 500 years ago, 500 years before Christ, okay? So way, way back there, four to 500 years before Christ. We're looking at a book that's almost 2,500 years old. What on earth could, a, could a, a book that was written 2,500 years ago have to do with my life today? That is a reasonable, uh, realistic kind of question. I think that as we work our way through it, you can answer the question for yourself. I don't think there's going to be a lot of times throughout our study of Malachi over the next couple of months where I'm going to have to say, don't you get it? Don't you see how this detail really addresses something in your life right now today? I think you are going to find the book of Malachi to be this ancient, ancient document that lives and breathes and seems like it actually could have been written to this church family and, and to, uh, I'll, I'll say, to America. Yeah, you've, you've probably noticed over the years that I've been your pastor that I don't preach a lot of messages railing against the culture. I don't stand in this pulpit and use it as a bully pulpit against America, citing all the things that are wrong out there. Instead, most of the time, I'm challenging the people of God to love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors, whether they share our faith or not, to love them absolutely as much as we love ourselves. And if it comes down to choosing between the well-being of others and ourselves, our call is to pick others. Real love means demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even when it costs me, and God will help me do it. But as I begin this series this fall, I want to say to, to us and to those who are listening, I think that the message of the book of Malachi is extremely important and relevant and is a message to our nation, the United States of America. Not that it has no um, application to folks outside of North America. And uh, let's just make sure that as, as, I, as I talk about this, that I'm not saying we're going to preach at, against, or to America, and all of us in here in our self-righteousness are going to go, yeah, America, get your stuff straight. Instead, this is a message from God to me, this American guy named Cliff. This is a message to the church of Jesus Christ in America that has become, in many ways, more American than it is Christian. And First Naz is a congregation within the church in North America 
that in many ways has become more American than it is Christian. This is a message to us. But if you dare to view from elsewhere, um, understand that um, I'm going to do my best to not be self-righteous, to not be hypocritical. But this is a word from God to our people, Christian or otherwise, in the United States of America. I'm, try- I'm aiming at a lot of moving targets all at once. Can you tell? Pray for me. That's tough. This morning, uh, I don't have a long passage from Malachi to read to you. I would encourage you over the next few weeks, make your way through the book of Malachi. It's just a few short chapters. You can really read the whole book in about 15 minutes. I would encourage you not to just like blaze through it there, I got it done. But just take some time and, and linger in the book. Pause from time to time and ask, Lord, are you trying to say something to me? And listen, because he'll speak to you. As I read this book, it, it's, it's tough to study because it's, it doesn't have an address saying, here's the exact group of people. It, it doesn't, it, in the, its original form, it doesn't even have a person identified as the author. This is tricky. The word Malachi means messenger. And so we don't know if there was a dude named Malachi or if there was just some anonymous person who said, God has spoken to me, and I'm becoming his messenger to his people. But whoever it was, again and again, had this sense that the Holy Spirit had a hold of him and was speaking to him something that people had to hear. All of us say that we, have, that we want friends who will tell us the truth. If you've ever said that, that I, you know, I just want somebody who's going to tell me the truth, raise your hand, and you only meant it halfway, right? Because as soon as somebody comes to you and says, hey, we need to talk, or we've got, I've, we've got a problem that you and I have got to deal with, there's something in your heart that goes, oh, no, and something that goes, And the defenses come up, and we start, if we're not careful, we go from here to here real quick, like, right? You with me? Is this just me that lives like this? No. I say that I want people who will tell me the truth. When somebody comes uh, purporting to tell me hard truths, man, I get get in a defensive position, and I don't know if I want to hear this, and I, I have a tendency to start picking at them and their faults, and there's this inner, how dare you? I have to guard my heart against. Does that happen in your life? But if we do have friends who love us, who will speak the truth to us, it means that our our lives are going to be punctuated from time to time with hard truths and hard moments where we either lose friends or we get humble and teachable and then grow and change. So I was preparing this message this week, and I always, I always ask the Lord, man, help me, help me to be able to illustrate the truth as well as proclaim it. I mean, help me to help me find real life situations that I can share with people. And so the Lord brought somebody my way. He said, Cliff, you messed up, and it, and it hurt me. Oh. Man, God, I meant examples of how other people mess up. I meant hard truths for other people, not for Cliff. 
And I, I had to listen and humble myself and be taught and, and apologize and make a request for forgiveness and then pledge myself to do what I needed to to make it right. And my friend received me because there's real love there. It was not enjoyable when it first fell on my ears. But the ouch turned into a thank you and a yes, Lord, and a different me. That's going to work out pretty well for all of you because I'm in your lives and you're getting a better version of me today. Let me ask you a question. Answer for yourself and as a voice in this church family. If God needed to have a hard conversation with us this fall, would you agree to drop your dukes and trust that he's really loving and let him say hard things? Will you? After you listen and that hard thing kind of hits with that dull thud in your heart, Instead of arguing, will you respond to him with a, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't see it. With me, will you ask for forgiveness? And will you pledge to live as his spirit enables you differently than you did before so that the relationship can be healthy and holy and good? The book of Malachi is what happened one time when God decided to tell the truth to his friends. And yes, it was written to some friends a long, long, long time ago. But as I said before, I think if, if you read it with me, you'll go, oh, and, and me. This morning, what I want to do is um, just kind of help you understand the background of the book before we really wade into it. We're going to get a few words from Malachi today, really just a handful of words today. And then next week, let's, let's come having prepared our hearts to have a meeting with the God who said, we need to talk. Okay? This book... Um, sits on this foundation that is not naturally uh, assumed or understood to us because we are North Americans. This book, as I mentioned, was written 2,500 years ago by a guy in a foreign language to a people that we don't even know, and I'll unpack some of that for you, but I first want to tell you about the kind of relationship, because there are different kinds of relationships. Who has a workout partner here, okay? Are they also your business partner? No. Who's, uh, who, whose workout partner is their spouse? Oh, like, like two, maybe. Yeah. Three. So um, there's different kinds of relationships, right? I mean, I have this great relationship with Laura, but she does not go work out with Luke and me and Todd, some other people, in the, in, right? Because those are two different kinds of relationships. You have business relationships, you have, you have pals, you have, you have soulmates, you've got lifelong friends. Um, who remembers the Lone Ranger and Blood Brothers? Man, that's a... Okay, how many of you tried it when you were a kid? You know, picked at a wound, 
picked up a sharp rock, who, who quit before they really got blood and said, let's just act like it. We're yeah, just me. The rest of you actually did it. That frightens me. Bloodthirsty. Wow. Yeah. That uh, blood brother, that blood brother concept, uh, for those of you who are saying the lone who, the Lone Ranger, don't know. Uh, Lone Ranger uh, had this, this friend. Lone Ranger was a, a Texas Ranger, uh, uh, a cowboy hat-wearing, pistol-wearing lawman. And he had a close friend who was a Native American whose name was Tonto. And the legend of these two people who, who rode around in the West making sure that justice took place was that though their cultures said that they didn't belong together, said that they couldn't love each other, said that they would never be friends, these two guys recognized something similar and a passion between them. And so because of it, they decided we are going to be one people. And they actually cut, I think, uh, on, on their wrists in, in that tail until the blood got to flowing, and then they put the wounds together so that now the Lone Ranger's blood flowed in Tonto's veins, and Tonto's blood flowed in the Lone Ranger's veins, and they spared us from the medical atrocity that probably took place with all of the clotting. But it was this idea that now we have one life. We are one person. We are brothers in, in a sense that even like, like genetic brothers aren't. Brothers that are closer than brothers. And this thing is not really just a legend from American cinema. I mean, the Lone Ranger is just a legend from American cinema. But the Blood Brothers thing, that is not a legend. In fact, it was the way that many, many people lived for many, many years. Uh, in fact, for thousands of years of human history... Uh, This idea of blood covenant, blood brothers, blood covenant, uh, was in fact the understood bedrock of relationships, mostly in the Eastern world. It was, however, also strangely present and common among Native American tribes. We find it in Africa. We find it in Turkey. We find it in other parts of the Middle East. On occasion, we found documents in the Orient that uh, help us understand that they, that they understood blood covenant, and we found it common among many of the tribes in North America. It could be said that blood covenant was once the way that human beings understood relationship, period. It worked like this. Most of the time, you've noticed that uh, for all of our talk in America about everybody being equal, have you noticed how people aren't? Um, Not everybody makes the same amount of money, right? Not everybody's as tall. Not everybody's as healthy. Not everybody's as good looking. Not everybody has as many friends. You've noticed we're not equal, equal, right? We're equal in terms of value in the eyes of God, but, but we're not equal in our influence or in our power, are we? No. And that's been the case through much of human history. And so the way that these kind of differences in power have often played themselves out is in what? War. Where a person who has more power or a nation who has more power or wants more power says, we're going to bring the power that we've got and try to take some from you. And whenever these groups, whether it was two nations at war or neighboring clans who uh, were, were kind of having a hard time making relationship together, usually there was a power move by the stronger and they conquered the weaker in one way or another, militarily or, um, or economically, or sometimes they just decided, um, before we get to the shooting, 
let's have a wedding. Let's have a wedding. Weddings, by the way, are a covenant kind of relationship. And the way this would work, we have thousands and thousands of these documents in existence that tell us about groups of people, two groups that came together, usually one that was stronger than the other, one had more power than the other, and they came not as equals, but one of them kneeling and the other one saying, get up off your knees, I'll be gracious to you. And I'm going to offer you a kind of relationship, your people with our people, that is permanent, So much so that when we have the ceremony, we will say, till death do us part. Not kind of like a wedding, but exactly like that. And in these, these covenant ceremonies, we have copies of them, we find that typically what would happen is these two groups would come together and on the day that they're going to seal the deal, that they're going to become blood brothers as such, uh, they, there would be a, an official ceremony like there is a wedding for, for helping people get married, and there would be a, a, a retelling of their histories, and most of the time the history wasn't very accurate. Because it didn't include all the times that they betrayed one another or had war against one another or stole each other's things. Instead, it was just a, a story of how our relationship historically has benefited one another, and they stretched the truth a little bit. But they were also trying to help people change the way that they thought about their relationship in the past because going forward, we don't want the war kind of conflict kind of relationship. We want the coming together kind of relationship. And so after the telling of the story, uh, wink, wink, nod, nod, of their relationship, there would also be these ceremonial things that took place where they would come and wear their their national or their tribal colors. There would be usually the sacrifice of a bull, and they would step literally into the mess that it made, get, get their, their feet all in the blood and the guts, not kidding. And standing there in all of their regalia, they would begin to take off their tribal colors and hand them to one another, and I'm going to wear your colors and you're going to wear mine because we're going to be one people. Sometimes they would exchange jewelry. Sometimes they would exchange weapons. I'll be your defense. You'll be mine. Often, they would, um, they would uh, amalgamate names. So listen to all my conservative friends who about 30 years ago started getting mad that when people in America got married, they hyphenated names. It's in the Bible, okay? It's in the Bible. They would amalgamate names. They just stick the two names together. And, and, and you've heard this in the Bible. You remember there was a guy named Abram, and then he and God entered into a relationship. Guess what kind? Covenant. And what did he do? He changed his name. And we had... The, Old Testament is kind of tough to read, and so we don't really know real well how to, exactly how to pronounce God's proper name, but it has four letters, Y-H-W-H, go ahead, have fun with that, and the H's are clearly dominant, and so he just took the sound and stuck it right into the middle of Abram's name, and Abram, Abram became Abraham, did the same thing for his wife, Sarah, and in fact, God said after this, don't call me God, call me the God of Abraham. It's my new identity. Abraham and I are together. Hmm. In these uh, covenant ceremonies, there'd be all kinds of, of uh, symbolic ways of saying, we're together now. We're one. And uh, the hardest part of it was that after we'd done all the easy, the, the sharing jackets and trading, trading swords, 
a deep gash would be made, usually somewhere between the palm and the elbow, somewhere here on the, on the forearm, a deep gash that really allowed blood to pump and flow. It, it, it really was a health risk. And one person would step out from each of those two groups, and they would, in fact, then put those wounds together so that their blood's mixed, Tonto and Lone Ranger style. Oftentimes, they would then reach into the fire and take ashes and rub it right into the wound. And we found out that that probably, uh, you know, charcoal and those do some, some great things about purifying, so it kept them from, you know, dying. Uh, but it also would leave an ugly, nasty scar by working that into the wound. So that now, whenever that covenant representative walked among his people, anybody who saw the ugly, nasty on his arm would remember, we're not alone. Those people who used to be our enemies, they're our people now. It's us and them versus the world, y'all. This is the relationship. Oh, by the way, when they finished the ceremony, they would, they would, uh, they would wrap up the ceremony by saying, here's the laws by which we will abide. We'll, we'll live this way toward each other. And if we keep the laws, we'll bless each other in these ways. And if we break the laws... We may eventually have to do the till death do us part thing, putting the blood in blood covenant, meaning that if one party proved unfaithful, the other party had the right to require of them their lives. In other words, there were a lot of capital offenses. And to make sure that we understood just how much we really meant all this stuff, at the end of this ceremony, they would sit down to a meal. And regardless of whether we find these documents in North America or we find them in Turkey or in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, always the meal would include some kind of bread and some kind of wine or juice. The symbols of flesh and blood. Eat this. Take me into you. I'll take you into me. This blood covenant, this is the kind of relationship that God offered to Abraham and to his, his children and children's children, the nation that came from him that we know as Israel. It's a very certain kind of relationship. It's formal. Uh, it has laws and rules. It comes with obligation. From time to time, they would revisit one another and they would read the covenant documents and say, how are we doing? And everybody would be screaming in their chairs because they knew they hadn't kept the, the, the covenant completely. And there's still one person who seems to have more power and strength than the other. And the, the offended party could at some point actually say, that's it, I'm calling this deal, and require of the other party their lives. And we, that has happened too. Many times in world history, when you see... Uh, the kind of things that we end up calling ethnic cleansing. It's because one group has said, we had a relationship. It has now come to the place that this relationship has so broken down that I'm requiring of you your life. God enters into a covenant relationship with Israel. What were they thinking? I mean, I guess if he's the almighty God... Um, the, and the options are have relationship with him or he kills me. Let's go with relationship, right? Sign me up for that covenant, God. But along with it comes all these promises of blessings and help and prosperity. You should read them. And, and like Deuteronomy, I'm going to say chapter 28, it's crazy the things that God promised to them. From, from financial wealth to um, 
uh, low unfertility rates. I mean, it's, it's all in there. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get creative in, in the ways that, that I try to bless you if you'll just stay faithful to me. And by the time we get to the, to the place where Malachi is writing his letter, centuries have transpired. And unfortunately, almost every one of those centuries was dominated by Israel's unfaithfulness to the covenant relationship with God. And they had come back to God many times and said, we're sorry, and God would sit down and renew the covenant with them again. There's a number of places in the scripture where you can read about them renewing the covenant. And they would renew the covenant by apologizing, asking for forgiveness, once again saying, I'll take the responsibilities of these laws that govern our relationship upon ourselves, and we'll sit down to another covenant meal. We'll renew the covenant together. We'll be faithful this time. But as... Israeli history went on century after century. It seems that they, they had less and less of an ear for listening whenever God would say, hey, back over here. Knuckleheads, I'll forgive you again, but get over here. Let's, let's put the, the deal back together. It seems like over time, Israel just quit listening to all of that. And what we read in the Old Testament is really a history of the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of people, no matter how many times God tried to say, hey, come back to me. We get to the book of Malachi. God comes to Israel and he says, we're friends, right? I mean, you know I love you. Then we need to talk. In fact, it's how the book opens. There's this like salutation at the beginning, but the, the first real sentence past, past dear Israel is, I love you. Centuries of them chasing after other gods, centuries of them actually making a mockery of their relationship with God, centuries of horrible immorality and, and, and something more than just like a drift into, oh, I forgot how we were supposed to act to one another. I mean that bowed back, fist in the face rebellion, telling God where he can go. And when God comes to have the hard talk, he begins with, I've always loved you. See, this story between God and those people is a story about a God who just always finds a way to say, I love you, instead of, I'll leave you. It's always another story of how God says, I love you, instead of, I'll leave you. By the time we get to the writing of the book of Malachi, though, I want to I help you understand Israel's position in all of this. Israel had come back to God several times, um, put the relationship back together. They would always end up wandering away. There was a period in their history where God said to them, hmm, we can't keep doing this. So I've warned you a bunch of times. I'm going to have to severely punish you. And so he actually empowers 
neighboring nations with military might to come in and conquer the land and the people of Israel, a bunch of them died. But not all, because God wasn't ending the relationship. He wasn't calling the the, the privilege of the blood part of blood covenant. He took the folks that remained, and he gave them kind of as slaves, prisoners of war, to leaders from other nations and said, get them out of the land. Take them away from the promise. Take them away from the promised land. Take them away from the blessings in the land. Take them away from some of their relatives. They left a few, God left a few in Israel, basically to make sure the cities didn't fall down. And after a generation or so of the people being away, God said, I still love you. Come back home. And when you read Nehemiah and Ezra, books in the Old Testament, you'll you'll read about the people coming back home. And God sent them more prophets, messengers from him who could say, I've heard from God. This is going to sound crazy, but it's the truth. It's what God said. And, And the prophets came and spoke to the people of Israel again, saying, you learned the lesson of faithfulness, right? I mean, I mean, when, when it came to the place of, of our, our nation being defeated and people being taken as prisoners of war, I mean, you really learned the lesson. You don't, you don't have to suffer more than that to get it, right? One of the prophets, you've read him before, uh, parts of him anyway, his name's Isaiah. Isaiah starts telling the story, saying, when, when you finally really come back to God... God's going to unleash blessings like you can't believe, like, like a, a time of prosperity in Israel, like the world's never seen. Like it, it sounds almost fairy tale-ish when you read it. And in fact, among the blessings, in the middle of all this prosperity, God is going to send a specially chosen servant that he will equip with powers that Make him seem like he's a God walking among men. Lame people that he walks past will suddenly be able to get up and walk with him. Deaf people will be able to hear. Blind people who've heard about him but never seen him, they'll be able to see one day. And when Messiah comes... He'll not only take care of a few individuals on whom other folks have had pity but never done anything to help. That, that kind of work that he does as a, as a healer and a, a, a walking demonstration of the love and the goodness of God, it's going to be coupled with, with strong teaching about truth that's going to guide all of the people who will listen in the direction of a tight relationship with God and these incredible blessings of prosperity. So that an entire nation is going to be transformed and become a spectacle for the whole world to see. They'll be so much better than everybody else that all of the neighboring nations are going to look and say, I want some of that. What's it take? And they will be drawn into a relationship with that same God who will then extend the blessings to every family of earth Man, that's a fantastic story. Read Isaiah sometime. So the people of Israel, they've come back home now. Ezra and Nehemiah, those guys helped bring them back home. They've heard the, the prophet speaking, read his writing. 
But a century later, it's not exactly that prosperous. In fact, there's been a drought and a famine. Hello up there! God, remember all the promises? In another century, and some difficulty with the neighbors, 300 years stretches by, and 400 years stretch by, and it is not turning out like Isaiah said. There's nobody who could even be confused for a Messiah for very long who shows up. Once in a while, some guy flexes military might in Israel, and they go, huh, maybe he's Messiah. Yep, all those guys got dead. I mentioned earlier in the message that that maybe I, I wouldn't have to point out often how this relates to our lives. Has your life really turned out as awesome as you had hoped? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have the privilege of being raised in a Christian family where you've been taught uh, about the Lord from the time you were a little kid, I mean, has it really all come about like those preachers and your parents and Sunday school teachers taught you? Or does it seem like you've been waiting a long time? Now look, if we're going to be if, if we're going to be honest, there's been some great things happen in our lives because of this relationship with God and his people. Amen? Say it like you mean it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lord. But we've also stood by and watched as great suffering has taken place too. And there's been disappointment, hasn't there? How do we respond to that? Generally speaking, uh, people respond to unfulfilled or broken promises in, in one of three ways. They either slowly lose hope, they kind of drift away from the promiser, or there comes a point where they just kind of put their feet down, and say, hmm, get out. And they begin to act out and rebel against the person who didn't make good on their promises. There's a a third option, and it's that people just stay faithful, even when the other person isn't. But that doesn't happen as often as the other two. The people of Israel had had these great big promises from a prophet who said he was speaking, you know, as the Holy Spirit was giving him utterance. He was the great oracle of God. Everybody liked the message of the oracle because it said, my life gets better and better and better and better and better and better till the end, till I die happy and healthy. And so do all my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, neighbors, friends. 
And not only had the Messianic age not come about in Israel, but not even, not even, not even, the Messiah hadn't even come for one day to come and do Messiah stuff and say, don't worry, I'll be back later. He hadn't even shown up at all. And so the people of Israel had taken, oh, I think they started off down the first path of reaction of a slow drift. Then there just came a point where they were like, enough, God, ah. And they started deliberately breaking the blood covenant that they had agreed to many times over. And when God saw that the people had moved from this disappointed, hurt, and drifting people to a people who were giving him the tall finger, if you know what I mean, God cleared his throat, stood up tall, took a big deep breath, and said, I have always loved you. Come back to me. I mean, at the point where you would have said, I got the document right here. It says you have the right. You owed me and you didn't come through. I have the right to... God said, I've always loved you. Come back to me. Malachi is one of the best books in the Bible. You're going to find that as you read it. And as as the people were making their way back to him, God said, "Uh, there are some hard things that we need to face together. But remember that I love you and remember that I'm your friend as we talk about them. Those are the things we're going to listen to over the next few weeks together, okay? But I thought it was very important before God says, here's what you've done wrong, that we hear several times the tone in God's voice. It isn't, how dare you? I mean, there's a couple of times when we read this book, you're going to see God getting cranked up. But he meant what he meant when he led off, and he led off the way that he led off for a reason, because he wants us to remember, I've always loved you. God's response to everybody who's ever drifted, everybody who's ever made promises that they couldn't keep or didn't keep, everybody who's left him and come back, his response is always, I've always loved you. Welcome back. So I think as we head into the fall together, let's read the book of Malachi. And where God says hard things, instead of defending ourselves or denying or making excuses, why don't we just listen to a friend who loved us enough to say, hey, I need to talk to you. And when he says a hard truth to us, why don't we make apology? Let's ask forgiveness. Let's ask what it is that we need to do to make it right. And he's going to say, nothing, I made it right. Now walk with me. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to everyone who believes in him. Let's purpose that by the time we get to to the end of this fall, we will be walking in a new kind of covenant with God. Where people look at us and go, those people must belong to God because there's too much awesome happening over there. They're shiny. There's a lot spilling out of these people. There's love and there's goodness like I've never seen among them before. In order for that to happen, we must come to the God who says, we need to talk. Maybe already today, before you know any of the hard talks that the Malachi will lead us into, maybe you already recognize that there's a coming back that needs to happen in your life. Or you realize, hmm, I mean, I still love God, but boy, it's been a while since we really connected. It's been a while since we felt close. It's been a while since, since I really lived intentionally like I belonged to him, like I was intending to keep my covenant with him. If already today you recognize some ways in your life that, it, that, that God could probably say, hey, back over here. Why don't you just take those to him? Lord, we are coming home this fall. Thank you for being a God who welcomes us, who loves us instead of leaving us. If you're grateful for a God who says, I'm loving, I'm not leaving, say amen. Grace and peace to you.